Welcome to the Dinner Party Download. This is your icebreaker. Here's a joke for you. What do you call a man with no body and just a nose? I don't know. Nobody knows. I'm Brendan Francis Noonan. I'm Rico Galliano, and from APM American Public Media, this is the Dinner Party Download, the culture show that gives you an edge in your weekend conversations. You just got a joke from Tatiana Maslany that'll help break the ice. She's the Emmy-nominated star of the hit TV show Orphan Black, which makes her just the person to kick off this our first ever all television episode. Yes, coming up, we'll hear from other giants of the small screen. Some of these conversations are new, some of them are vintage, all of them are excellent. That's right. Because it's spring, time to stay indoors, eat Claritin, and watch shows. Yes, avoid sunshine and fresh air at all costs. Speaking of which, here's Norman Lear, producer of some of the most groundbreaking TV in history, including All in the Family, yep. telling us about the first time he got addicted to the tube just after World War II. Yes, we had uh, my wife, my, with a child, and I drove out to California. That I was going to look for work as a publicist. Hmm. Uh, and the only person we knew who had a television set was an uncle who was living here. We used to go over hmm. to Uncle Al's to watch uh, Milton Berle. Of course. The great Milton Berle. Did it, did it have much of an impact on you? Do you remember being... Well, no less uh, or no more enthralled than I am today. It's in this golden age of television. It's uh, unfortunately, like everything else in America, we, we deal with excess. Mm. And mm. so <laughs> there's just too much content, but great. There you go. And folks, our mission this hour is to cut through the excess and turn you on to some of the best TV of this new golden age. Coming up, we'll hear from Uzo Aduba, Emmy-winning star of Orange is the New Black, Silicon Valley star T.J. Miller, and many more. Plus, we'll hear from some of you. We asked our listeners to sing us their favorite TV theme songs. We'll take a listen to the best slash worst of those. Yes, for better slash worst. And for those of you who take great pride in saying you don't even watch TV, well, Norman Lear offers this advice. Get lost. Although, actually, we'd rather have you stick around and let us persuade you otherwise. Anyway, let's meet our guest of honor. All right, and this week it's Ellie Kemper. She got her start on traditional TV, playing the optimistic receptionist in the sitcom The Office. She also made a splash as Kristen Wiig's miserable newlywed pal in the blockbuster comedy Bridesmaids. Yeah. But these days, she stars in the streaming Netflix series Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. That's right. Created by Tina Fey and Robert Carlock, who also dreamt up 30 Rock. It's about a perpetually upbeat Midwestern woman who spent 15 years locked in a bunker as a member of a cult and who has now moved to New York City. Despite the dark premise, it's a rapid-fire comedy which pings back and forth between absurdity and profundity. The show returns for its second season on April 15th. When I spoke to Ellie this week, we started by listening to a clip. Kimmy, played by Ellie, confronts her best friend and roommate Titus. He's constantly running away from his problems and his past relationships. And Kimmy worries someday he'll do the same to her. How do I know you won't just pack up and run away from me? Because I probably won't. Now, can I please eat my ham and clam pizza in peace? That's wrong. Those toppings are wrong. I will agree with you in 20 minutes. But it doesn't matter, does it? Because this is New York, where everyone's moral relatives. Just order a deep dish ham clam, and some sicko will make it for you. I'll have you know, I didn't order these. I found them. Am I the only person in the city who doesn't just do whatevs, whenevs? Well, fudge that sugar. Fudge it to heck! So this show is not done in front of a live audience. Mm -mm. What is the most tried and true way to know if a joke is hitting or not? Is it, is it like Snickers from the cast or what? How do you 
get a gauge because you do get energy from an audience. I know. I've heard actors say, well, you know when the crew is laughing, that's when it works. And I kind of feel like you sometimes know, but sometimes the crew is tired and not paying attention (laughs) because they've been there for 13 hours. So I don't know that that is always the best gauge, but I guess it is. It's probably about uh, if you're entertaining the other cast members, if... I, I don't really know. It's it's horrible to deliver a joke and then there just be silence. Well, that's what's going to say. So how do you stay motivated? You just have to hone your own radar, right? And well, be like, that joke worked. This is such a good question. Because the first season of the show, I would get like down on myself because I felt like, oh, I'm not doing it right. Because it would just be crickets. Like, you'd say whatever yeah. you say, and then it's just nothing. And then you go back to your room, and you're like, oh, well, that was, I don't know why I'm here. But then you realize, <laughs> oh, it's work, and it's a business, and you're getting through this stuff. So you really do have to hone your own radar, I think. Yeah. But also... Tina, either Tina or Robert, is always on set, which is great. And then you just trust their radar. So if it were not working, they would come and fix it. Do they give you encouraging words afterwards? Like, that was great. No, but I, oh, really? but that's good because we're not babies. So I think that I feel like actors. But you're a comedian, and comedians have they need to be. Fed they do need to be fed, but affection. I don't think that's healthy. We'll okay. get into that'll be another dinner party discussion. I okay. mean, at our actual dinner that party. Comedians are babies. Actors are babies. Yeah. Oh yeah. You're playing dress up and pretending to be someone else, which is great. If you get to do that and be paid for it and that's your job, that's great. But nonetheless, it's still what children do. And it's also, like, what I always get confused about is when people are like, you really lose themselves in the role and actually believe that they are that person. That's insane. (laughs) Method acting, yeah. Method acting? I don't get it. I'm like, but you're not that person. You know that, right? You're You're like, your foot works, Daniel Day-Lewis. Your foot is fine. (laughs) I I find that alarming. But that's why I'm not Daniel Day-Lewis. I guess that's what you really have to do to become that. But What about the reverse, uh, though, in this instance? Because I'm sure Kimmy Schmidt has such a strong personality. Yes. And she's optimistic. Yes. And she's beaming. Yes. Does that bleed? into your private life a little bit? Okay, having just made fun of actors everywhere, I yes. will say this. I am one, and yeah. so this will sound actory and and a little corny. I do think the great thing about playing this character, Kimmy Schmidt, is her tenacity and resilience really does legitimately inspire me. If I'm feeling in my real life, sorry for myself, I've never undergone anything close to what this character has gone through, I do draw strength from that. I think that there's something very... Uh, inspiring about her world yeah. outlook. I wonder if another part of it isn't like Tina Fey is one of the funniest people mm-hmm. in the world. Mm-hmm. So Kimmy Schmidt is a vehicle for learning from her in a way. You know what I mean? Like no, she's yeah. like kind of like a mentor to some extent. Yes, yes. And what an amazing experience to be able to admire someone and then you basically just have this one-on-one relationship with them. It is. My heart actually just sped up as you said that because that is, it's extraordinary. It's unlike anything that I could have hoped for because I mean, I remember like you know, doing improv at the UCB. And at that point, I think she was hosting Weekend Update yeah. and whatever. And Writing for SNL. Writing yeah. for SNL. She was on the cover of Bust Magazine. I was like, that woman is just so cool. And at first, I was always nervous around her because of her iconic stature and everything yeah. that she's accomplished. And um, it is so lucky that we have her in the world because she is such a good person. And she's yeah. all about the work. She's very humble. She's very grounded. And she just wants to create good things. Yeah. So learning from that and seeing how she conducts herself on a set and in real life is endlessly instructive and provides such a good example of how a person should yeah. behave. So I feel extraordinarily lucky to be able to, you know. Does she ever get a little jealous that you get to be the face of her? I don't think so. Because <laughs> giving away jokes is difficult. I would think so. A lot of the time I'm like... She gave away a whole role. She gave away a whole role. I'm like, that is the greatest gift of all time. She's like, you're right. She's like, you're right. And then (laughs) I split my... someday I'm going to need a favor. (laughs) No, what do you think it will be? I'll do it, but I don't don't know know. what it's going to be. I don't... But I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm at the ready. So this isn't your first time working with incredibly talented people, though. You were also in the office. And I was thinking about this cast the other day. B.J. Novak went to Harvard. 
John Krasinski went to Brown. Mindy Kaling went to Dartmouth. Yeah. You went to Princeton. Holy Christmas. That's interesting. I mean, uh, yeah, I guess there were a lot of, I guess, Ivy Leaguers in that cast. On break, were you guys, did you have slippers and pipes? Yeah. And like, (laughs) Yes. Going to catch me at the supper club (laughs) over there. Some, um, what is it, a highball? Is that a highball glass? How yeah, would they, I know? I don't know. I don't, you didn't <laughs> Ivy League, then I can't really relate to you. No, that, as far as a cast goes, because I know a lot of writers, you oh, know, yeah. go there. Not, but the, in the terms, Lampoon is the like lampoon, a feeder for it. It really is. But it seems like, you know, sometimes some people think of comedy as this refuge for the class clown. Why do you think an Ivy League education has become a gateway to comedy? I t- I, you know what's so funny is I was about to say something contradicting that, which is okay. that when I started taking classes at the Upright Citizens Brigade and the People's Improv Theater here in New York, I felt like, oh, um, it, it does not matter at all where you went to college mm-hmm. here. Uh, and it doesn't. And it also it bears no weight. I mean, you're if you're funny and good at improv, then you're funny and good at improv. That is completely independent of where you went to college. And I felt like, oh, I, I felt a sense of relief because then I felt like, now I don't have to worry about where my eventual children go to college. They can do whatever they want, and yeah. it will be fine. So here is something that's not unique. Mm. Our two standard questions. Oh, yes. Okay. Okay. The first question is, what question are you tired of being asked in interviews? I don't want to say I'm tired of being asked because it sounds ungrateful, but mm-hmm. I think this is confusing. People will ask if I ever get in a bad mood because I play these sunny characters. Yeah. And it's like, what? That's like, acting 101. I am performing. You're pretending to be someone who's optimistic. But, and what person have you met who doesn't get in a bad mood. Of course I get in a bad mood. And and the other thing is I'm like, you know I get in a bad mood. So why are you making me talk about <laughs> You're getting me in a bad I'm mood. I'm in a bad mood now. This. Exactly. No, that is funny. I mean, there it just shows that but you're I mean, doing such a good job that people really can't distinguish. Okay, so. but as as a host, what answer would you be hoping to get from asking someone if they ever get in a bad mood? I guess they want to hear an anecdote. Bad mood last night. Yeah, exactly. I did a mountain of cocaine and drank a <sighs> bottle of vodka and I was you know, my hang my husband was hanging by his feet over the balcony. Yes, so that's they what they want. But don't give it to I, them. I'm not going to. They want clicks. I'm not going to give them what Everybody they want. Everybody wants clicks. Everybody wants don't a click these clicks. days. All right. Next question. Okay. Tell us something we don't know, mm-hmm. and this can be a personal fact you haven't shared in interviews, or it could be just an interesting piece of trivia about the world. I, I, I don't like puppies. I don't get it. I, don't, I mm. feel like I'm the only person I have ever met who doesn't like puppies. And you actively dislike, or just you're like, I feel, everyone goes crazy for them, and you're like, what's the big deal? Yes. The, the second one. Okay. I feel nothing. When people stop on the street and gather around an animal, any yeah. animal, particularly a puppy, I absolutely do not get it. And it makes yeah. me wonder if I... There's you're missing something. Yeah. Mm. And I didn't grow up with animals, mm-hmm. and that, that probably has mm-hmm. something to do with it. I'm on thin ice with pets on this show because we have an etiquette segment, and I'm often a little bit... I, I could come across as anti-pet. But, uh, but I'll say that this, because what upsets thing. me more than how people make themselves fools in front of a puppy yeah. is the owners of a puppy... Act like they've done something. Oh, you know, they're like, yes. <laughs> like, what? What, what are you looking you at me for? What has it? happened? You're a whole, yeah, you paid $500. Yes. And you, I'm supposed to celebrate that this thing is urinating right. on the tree in front of my house? And how old it is? Yeah, exactly. Six months. Six months. <laughs> and it's one thing if you're talking about a baby, I'm like, okay, well, that, you did have more of a hand in. Because you know they never adopted these dogs. They're yeah. always bought. Mm-hmm. And so all you did was gift yourself. <laughs> it's like the dog in Kimmy Schmidt. Jacqueline's dog. Yeah, Jacqueline's uh, abattoir. dog. Abattoir. Yeah, abattoir. Okay. You're taking it on a walk. You're concerned. That's right. like, it didn't go to the bathroom. She's like, we bred that out. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and that's what happens. It's all for the convenience of, and, and, and uh, vanity of the owner now. That's abattoir. That was a cute little puppy. I will say. Oh, shoot. I just contradicted everything I yeah, said. But that was a cute okay. little thing. Unbreakable. 
actress Ellie Kemper, ladies and gentlemen. I gotta say, not the answer I expected from one of the most upbeat actors on television. What's you know, who on? needs puppies when you have inner joy, Rico? I guess. Folks, uh, you can direct your letters of outrage to Netflix, mm-hmm. where the new season of Ellie's show, Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, begins next week. And if you want to see a video of me and Ellie slow motion high-fiving, I do. follow us on Instagram. We're at Dinner Party DNLD. Fascinating transition. Damn it! At the tone, please record your message. Hey, this is Sonia from Los Angeles giving my best television theme song. And mine is Good Times. Um, Growing up, there wasn't any television that looked like me and my family. So to see a family of color on television was awesome. And it sounded like this. I don't know the words, but I loved it. Anyway, uh, good times. Thanks. Making a way when you can. Temporary layoffs. It's one of my favorites, too. It's the best. I don't think you sing it as well, though. It's just mm-hmm. my opinion. Uh, folks, we'll be hearing more of your favorite TV themes throughout the show. Plus, we're going to hear from Uzo Aduba of Orange is the New Black, Sarah Shapiro, the creator of Unreal, and Silicon Valley's T.J. Miller tells us the secret to his success. How many people sound like a drag queen who chain smokes? And that, I've kind of cornered the market on that. That and more stuff like it when this all-TV episode of the Dinner Party Download continues. Good times! Stop it. Welcome back to the Dinner Party Download, the arts and leisure section of public radio. I'm Brendan Francis Noonan. I'm Rico Galliano, and we're in the middle of a very special all-television episode in which we've gathered together our favorite conversations with stars of the little screen. Coming up, Uzo Aduba from Orange is the New Black, and in a few minutes, The Daily Show's Asif Manvi remembers the day he moonwalked his way to teenage glory. But first, let's learn some manners. All right. Each week, you send in your questions about how to behave. And here to answer them this week is T.J. Miller. He made his name as a stand-up comedian. He's lent his dulcet voice to the animated film Big Hero 6. <laughs> and to a ball of mucus and Mucinex commercials. That is some range. Uh, you can also hear him on the podcast, Cashing In with T.J. Miller. But lately, he's earned raves and a Critics' Choice Award for his lead role on the HBO sitcom Silicon Valley. Yes. That's Mike Judge's brilliant satirical look at tech startup culture. And T.J., welcome. Well, hello. And I always enjoy that when you give somebody my CV, like an audience, if uh, yeah. the, the introduction for me, people always laugh. They're like laughing at a man who is the Mucinex guy. <laughs> But we loved him in Big Hero 6. I like dulcet voice, though. You've been getting that word a day email, haven't you, from dictionary.com. We know about it. Yes, we put it. It's public radio. Are you kidding? Culture dinner party. Well, well, when your voice gets that loud, it's no longer dulcet, though, TJ. No, that's very true. That's a deep timber. That's a big part of my comedy is just being louder than other people. Actually, we're going to get to Silicon Valley in a second, but, but since you bring it up, you've done a lot of voice work. As radio people, we're curious. When did you realize your voice was an asset? Um, the way I started getting voiceover work was improvisation. I'm, I'm sort of an improviser by trade. In the advertising medium, like the Slim Jim stuff I did, I just did some Smirnoff stuff. Advertising, it, it, we're inundated with it, so I kind of feel like it should at least be funny. You know, you're going to have to mm-hmm. see it anyway. But yeah, I mean, what I begin to realize is that not many people sound like me. I sound, not many people sound like a drag queen who chain smokes and sings Tie the Yellow Ribbon while drinking whiskey in sort of the West Village of Manhattan. And I've kind of cornered the market on that. 
And yeah, I, you I, own I, I owe a lot of that to clove cigarettes and marijuana, <laughs> and there's just a variety of things. Screaming, screaming mm-hmm. at people. Good. So okay. that's 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 your advice to advice actors. for the youth. Maybe yeah, I mean, do that's all right. those things. I am the voice of the youth. That's exactly right. Oh, I see. Literally. All right. Uh, all right, let, let's turn, as promised, to your far less important work in the Emmy-nominated Silicon Valley. Doesn't matter to me. This is a, So you play Eric Bachman. <laughs> Ehrlich Bachman. Ehrlich. God, you guys. Sorry. Ehrlich, no, that's okay. It's... I just love it. You guys are like, and now, so let's hear a clip of J.T. Biller from Gillicone <laughs> Valley. All right. Roll the clip Here's, of Ehrlich. We used dulcet. That was your gimme. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. <laughs> but let us describe your character for those who may not know. He's a macho man. Yes. He is the leader of a, a band of, of brilliant but awkward tech coders. Your character just totally destroys the stereotype of the nerdy computer guy, though. He's loud and full of himself. He's, he's a jerk and a hero simultaneously. Typecasting. And here's a clip. This is uh, your character playing hardball in a meeting with a venture capitalist who wants to invest in your startup company. Okay, here's my concern. Here's my concern. Who the hell picked out that shirt for you? What? Oh, I see. With the pants. So I guess it's a whole thing. My wife picked these out. Then you married poorly. (laughs) (laughs) So simple. Here's he's such a great character and so idiosyncratic. I kind of want to believe he's based on a real guy. Was he? Everybody sort of really is trying to figure out who's based on who, because there are these tech moguls that fit into these archetypes. But since sort of playing him, like people will come up to me and be like, oh my God, I love the show. I love it so much. So listen, TJ, at my company, I'm you. I'm Ehrlich at my company. And I'm like, that's not a good thing. And whenever <laughs> this happens, they are, they're totally high. They're just blaze beyond belief. Sometimes they're in a airport excuse me but like (laughs) totally high just walking up with kids with them and they're like i'm like you this is my son eric and he loves you in big hero six so it's less based on somebody and it's more you know there's an ehrlich type of person in every industry all right well look you play the most impolite person in the tech industry so we figure you're just the guy to ask some etiquette questions are you ready for these no. <laughs> Great. That being the case. <laughs> no, let's no do it. Shoot. Here's something right. from Andrea in Venice, Italy. Uh-oh. Seriously. Andrea says, I'm studying abroad and recently gave my roommate my computer password. Now, every time I walk into the room, she's on my computer watching Israeli soap operas. How do I politely change my password and still sleep in the same room with this person? Well, I don't think it's it's okay to change your password. And I just don't see her being like, you change your password? Well, good luck sleeping at night without me standing over you with a knife. The password was our only bond of friendship. Now we are enemies. No, I, you know, I, I think you ch- just change it without telling her. And then wait for her to awkwardly be like, hey, did you change your password? Because the one you gave me is working. And you just go, no, I've been having the same problem. And that's it. (laughs) And never mention it again. So it's kind of a combination of passive aggression and lying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's aggressive aggression. You really have a hang of this etiquette thing. Yeah. I know what I'm doing. Let's forge ahead. This next question comes from Cecilia. She sent it to us through Facebook. She writes, TJ, I have a question. Good. If you give the bride and groom a wedding shower gift, are you expected to bring another gift to the actual wedding? Mm. My thinking is yes, because after all, they're paying for your dinner and drinks at the reception, and they're probably in debt from fronting the cost of a new life together. Well, that's nice of Cecilia. Wow, yeah, Cecilia, you're a sweet little darling. Uh, You know, I think, yeah, you're expected to bring 
a gift for both. And it's good to think of it that way. They're throwing you the party. They're giving you the experience. That being said, it doesn't have to be a super expensive gift. You know, I... Huh. I went to this wedding shower. I was in disguise as a woman. And I went and I brought this very opulent piece of lingerie. And, you know, this mm. is a piece of lingerie from um, Fr- Friedrichs of Hollywood. Oh, and, uh, mm, classic. And, you know, so I gave that. That was like $168, okay? Then I Whoa. went to the wedding dressed as a man, you know, with my wife. Mm-hmm. And uh, we gave him just an old tin cup. <laughs> just an old god. Rusted tin cup, Mm -hmm. and I left it there. And I said, I said, every time you feel as though you're falling out of love, fill this cup, take a sip, get naked, and take a dip. And then they're kind of like, oh, it's a sent. Oh, this is a sentimental thing. Pretend it was your grandfather's or something like that. Yeah. So you don't have to spend so so much money on. Just pick your present and go with it. And then the other one can be an old. Mm Rusty tin cup. <laughs> but yeah, the old tin cup. Although the problem here is that in the at the wedding shower you were in disguise, so they don't realize that one person gave them two gifts. Oh no, my wife was at the wedding shower also. They just, okay, I, I wanted to go too because right. I wanted to see all the lingerie. Yeah, totally. Hey, this is our last question. Here's something from Bridget in Chicago, Illinois. Bridget writes: Despite my best efforts. I have no idea what my programmer cousin is talking about when he describes his work. Uh, what should I say or do to seem like I'm engaged in conversation with him? Pick a specific thing that it seems interesting to you about his world, like programming or whatever, yeah. and mm. ask him to break that down like you would for a, an idiot or a layman, you know? I Try see. and understand mm-hmm. just one little piece of it. And it's probably pretty relevant. Like, he probably knows some pretty cool stuff. It's just, you know, people who speak that language. It's like the young girl from Venice. People that speak, you know, coding language talk as if you speak the language, but you don't, you know? Mm-hmm. And if you don't know Italian, then why are you all up in my face? All I would like is a pizza, mm-hmm. and I want to know what thin crust is versus the thicker crust, and you're mad at me because I don't speak Italian? I came to Venice to make my way as a visual artist and a phrase maker, and I wanted to do mosaic on the side as a hobby, TJ, and now you're in my face. Take it easy now. Sorry, I had a terrible flashback of my time studying abroad, and it wasn't just passwords yeah. I was having trouble with. It was coded language. <laughs> All, right. All right, TJ Miller, you figure that out. Thanks so much for telling our audience how to behave. I like it. Don't misbehave. Thanks. Seriously, though, do. If you can have sexual intercourse, you always should. Jay Miller, he plays Eric Bachman, not Eric, mm-hmm. in the multiple Emmy-nominated HBO series Silicon Valley. It returns for a third season April 24th. He also lends his carefully cultivated voice to basically everything. And folks, if you have an etiquette query, send it to us and we'll find someone cool and maybe even nominally qualified to answer it. Crazy. Head to dinnerpartydownload.org and click contact. to eavesdrop. Comedian and actor Asif Manvi is one of the merry band of correspondents on Comedy Central's The Daily Show. This summer, he joins the cast of the much-acclaimed series Mr. Robot. Today, we overhear a thriller-ring story from his book. Hi, my name is Asif Manvi. Uh, You may know me as the foreign Muslim Middle East doctor correspondent on The Daily Show. I wrote this book called No Lands Man. 
has to do with my life, you know, born in India, growing up in the UK, growing up in the US, fitting in, working in Hollywood. I'm going to read to you uh, a little excerpt from the book, a chapter called You Can't Be Michael Jackson All the Time. It was 1984, and MTV had recently launched on American cable television. That same year, the drama department at my high school decided that instead of producing a traditional fall play, they would put on a variety show. The drama students were asked to perform some kind of musical number, even if their lack of singing ability left them to resort to lip-syncing. Initially, I decided to boycott the show entirely. But a few weeks before the performance, in a drug-induced moment in the back of my friend Roy's Sky Blue Volkswagen, I made a decision that would change the rest of my high school experience. The variety show would have its very own Michael Jackson. Earlier that year, Michael Jackson had sealed his stature as being bigger than Jesus. A single glove, a fedora, and the moonwalk all came together in a magical moment. Truth be told, it was not the first time I had ever seen the moonwalk. The black kids in school had been popping and breakdancing outside the lunchroom for almost a year before I saw Michael do it on TV. I'd even tried doing it myself, in my bedroom, late at night. But I always looked less like I was dancing and more like I was being riddled with bullets. So, I practiced that dance everywhere, all the time. I danced in the shower to the thumping of my mother on the other side of the bathroom door, yelling, What are you doing in there? Why are you taking a shower at two o'clock in the afternoon? One night before bed, while I was grabbing a glass of milk, I woke my father, who emerged to the sight of his teenage son, kicking and twirling and emitting piercing, high-pitched squeals, wearing only his underwear at two in the morning. He must have wondered in that moment, as he watched me from the shadows, why he had ever come to this country. Despite my poor display, my family was supportive. Even though my grandmother didn't understand what it all meant, she would walk into my bedroom every day and sing, Billy Jesus, Not My Lawyer. The day of the variety show arrived. I walked out in the darkness and stepped into a spotlight. And in an instant, my mouth seemed to lose all moisture. My limbs felt heavy as I assumed a familiar pose. I realized that stoned people make impulsive decisions that lack judgment, and that this was the backbone of the Say No to Drugs campaign. Before I was ready for it to happen, the familiar throbbing beat began. I reached up with my makeshift glittered glove drenched in sweat and slid my fingers across the brim of my fedora. I thrust out my hip and kicked my right leg straight and hard. A girl screamed, I love you! I heard another scream, hell yeah! Then another, and another, and in an instant, a confidence began to come over me that I had never experienced before. There was an explosive scream from the audience as I swallowed and opened my mouth, becoming a vessel for Michael's pitch-perfect lament. All I had to do was bring the swagger. I walked forward, and I glided backwards. It couldn't have been easier. I was an Indian-English kid who had been transplanted to America, dancing on a Tampa high school stage, channeling a black man who looked like an Indian girl. It is true that you can't be Michael Jackson all the time. But on that day, for four minutes and 30 seconds, the entire student body, black kids, white kids, the jocks, the prom queens, the drama kids, even the two Asian kids and the one Indian kid, Dilip, stood up and screamed, Michael. Writer, actor, and comedian Asif Manvi, reading from his humor collection No Lands Man. He's also a correspondent on The Daily Show. 
and you're listening to an all-TV episode of the Dinner Party Download from American Public Media. At the tone, please record your message. Hi, this is Carla in Somerset, New Jersey. I'm a huge fan of TV theme songs, and one of my all-time favorites is SpongeBob SquarePants. This is Bruce from Pittsburgh, PA. I love the instrumental song from Manic. Mike Connors as Manic. Hey guys, my name is Doak Proctor in Bel Air, Texas. And if you want a martini, I just made one. You're welcome to join. But as far as my favorite all-time TV episode theme, has got to be Barney Miller. It's just a great song. If they just played it on the radio, it would have done well. Yeah, that bass line. Boom. 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 Just puts you in the right state of mind. Y'all take it easy. Have a great weekend. Thanks, Doug. And actually, this would not be a bad song to sip martinis to. Oh, I don't know. I think of it as more of a whiskey after work kind of jam. I could, I, I could see that. Really, it could go with beers too. On the you know, hand, anything so. in the liquor aisle, the Barney Miller theme pairs with. That's yeah. what we're learning today. It's a great lesson. Anyway, so this is an all-television episode, and one genre we haven't mentioned yet is reality TV. Mm. And for that, we've got an expert on the subject, Sarah Gertrude Shapiro. Yes, she co-created the Lifetime series Unreal. It takes place behind the scenes of a fictional reality dating show, kind of like The Bachelor. And it follows a smart feminist field producer named Rachel, whose job on the show forces her to compromise just about every moral she has. She's expected to goad female contestants into behaving badly on screen. In this clip, the show's director orders Rachel to manipulate one of the older contestants into appearing desperate and pathetic. You know something, that's going to be super tough because she's very smart and guarded. In her oh, last relationship, it was uh, it was rough, right, Doc? Yeah, she does show some signs of uh, PTSD, it's true. And, and that also... is why we cast her for the crazy. All right, besides, she knew what she was in for. They all do. The crazier, the better. Sarah's other credits include producing nine seasons of the real show, The Bachelor. When Rico spoke with her last summer, he asked her how she ended up on that of all shows. You're a Sarah Lawrence grad. You are an avowed feminist. And here's a show that notoriously kind of stereotypes women and then pits them against each other. Yeah, I often say it was kind of like a vegan getting uh, hired to work in a slaughterhouse. <laughs> it was like... <laughs> Could not have been more diametrically opposed to sort of everything I had spent my life, you know, deciding that I was. Um, oh, no. I actually ended up working on The Bachelor through sort of a contract snafu. I hadn't been hired to work on that show. I was working on a pretty innocuous other show called High School Reunion and then was told I was getting moved on to The Bachelor and said, oh, God, no, you don't want me. I'm a feminist. And... <laughs> They just said, check your contract. Uh, sorry, we do. <laughs> we do. You were apparently so good at this that The Bachelor only let you go when you promised to move out of California and not work for competing shows. What do you think made you so good at it? You know, that is, that is something I have thought about a lot. I, I'm a, you know, I was kind of raised right. Like, I'm hardworking. I could not allow myself to get fired. I think I might be a little disarming, like, girl next door or something. People like to tell me their secrets. I um, am a genuinely compassionate and empathetic person, which is which pretty... gets people to open up to you. Yeah, and I think that also just being a writer, like I've been writing since I was five, so I just had a really strong sense of story. 
mm-hmm. and kind of a deep-seated hatred of popular prom queen girls. So there was maybe some like vitriol and violence inside oh, me that wow. helped. It's like a way yeah. subconsciously to get back at them in a way. Yeah, like maybe like I really wanted to win. So maybe that was a good, maybe kind of good at it. I was a killer. I was a little bit of a killer. Oh but also, God. you know, this character is not me. I mean, I was also not good at a lot of things because I was, you know, I'm not really great at being fake. I'm not, mm. you know, there are a lot of people that were better at it than I was. I just think that I happen to be good at some of the storytelling stuff and the talking to people stuff. I have a friend who does some casting for reality TV and she said that she learned after doing it for a while how easy it was to make a teen or a young 20-something cry because those were the kind of shows she was doing. And she said, (laughs) basically, ask them about their parents and then ask if their parents are proud of them. Did you learn any kind of... I don't know if you can call them tricks of the trade. I'll put quotes around that. (laughs) Did you kind of learn things over time that just psychologically seem to work with everybody? You know, pretty much asking any woman in her, I don't know, like 20s to 30, maybe any woman who's single, why are you single? Oh, wow. Just letting that one sit there for a while usually works. Parents are an easy target. Grandparents also. It's just kind of heartbreaking to think about how frail people are. It it does bring to mind the question that I'm always wondering is why would you go on a show where they, I think at this point we all know there's going to be some manipulation involved. Yeah, you know, that is actually a central question um, that we ask a lot in the writer's room for Unreal because one of the founding principles of this show is that we have to have equal compassion for the contestants as we do for the producers because the girls in front of the camera it's really easy to make fun of them and Mm. I think there are some really genuine reasons why people go on these shows some people come from small towns and this will be one of the biggest things that's ever happened in their lives Uh it expands their dating pool now millions of people have sort of viewed their match.com profile essentially And, you know, there's definitely a healthy number of people that go on thinking they can beat the game. Mm. But what we explore is that it's really not beatable, that you have an army of very, very smart people making these shows, an army of editors that are very good at their jobs, and you are completely out of your element. Sarah Gertrude Shapiro, co-creator of the TV series Unreal. Lifetime just announced the next season begins June 6th. All right, and folks, we'll continue this all-TV episode of the Dinner Party Download after a short break. Coming up, Emmy winner Uzo Aduba teaches us another language, and Ellie Kemper, star of the Netflix series Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, returns to tell us her favorite TV theme. Stick around. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Dinner Party Download and our special all-TV episode in which we talk about everything that's fit to watch or stream or whatever the kids are calling it these days. I'm Rico Galliano. I'm Brendan Francis Newham. We call it streaming. <laughs> Coming up in a moment, the culmination of our quest to find the best theme song. But first, let's meet one of the most celebrated actors on TV. Yes, that'd be Uzo Aduba. For years, she was known mainly as a Broadway actress. She starred in the revival of the musical Godspell a few years back. But these days, she's known for her deeply sympathetic portrayal of Suzanne, a.k.a. Crazy Eyes, on the Netflix series Orange is the New Black. The role has earned Uzo two Emmy Awards and a Golden Globe. Crazy Eyes is an inmate at a woman's prison, and she's funny, imaginative, and also suffering from mental illness. When I met with Uzo last fall, I asked if she diagnosed her character. You know, well, I mean, she says she's not crazy. She's unique. Um, Specifically, I think it's 
emotional expression that is where she's been stunted developmentally. And we see that when we see her backstory that she's... She's, she's adopted by a white family. Absolutely. Actually. She's been adopted by a white family and has always felt other. And as far as her imagination is concerned, she's always been other as she's well. overly imaginative. Overly imaginative. Or has imagination of a different sort, as I like <laughs> to think of it. You know, I think it provokes a conversation about how if you have never been a part of the fold or felt like you belonged, how that might impact how you grow. Well, actually, we have a clip here that I think illustrates this very well. There's a character in the prison named V who has actually made Susanna Crazy Eyes feel like she is part of the fold for maybe the first time in her life. And she is so enthralled to V that she actually allows V to convince her that she attacked a fellow inmate when, in fact, it was V who did it. And this is a scene where she's talking about this with her prison counselor. Did you attack Red? Lee said I did. Those men who were here said I did. Shouldn't I believe them? No. You should know what you did. I can't remember. I thought I was mopping in the warehouse. Turns out I was slocking in the greenhouse. I must, you know, I must, must have mixed up wear and green or, 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 or mop and slock. That could happen. Right? It's very unlikely. Yes. But who can I trust? Yourself. <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm unreliable. She is an outrageous character. And when you talk about the way she expresses herself, she's very pretty over the top almost all the time. <laughs> but this character exists in a world that's pretty gritty and realistic. Sure. So I imagine that there are challenges in trying to portray an over-the-top character in a way that doesn't become cartoonish. Well, I think that starts with our Turkish creator, Jinji Cohan, and her team of writers who have done a very elegant job keeping her rooted in something. So then, for me, the actor, I can understand her pursuits, and her pursuits are love-based. She's yeah. always in the pursuit of love, and they always have that inside the body of who she is. Speaking of writers and your relationship with them as an actor, usually on a TV show, you don't know what your character is going to do until the script arrives. Yeah. What's the moment that you were like, oh my God, Crazy Eyes is going to do that? <laughs> do you remember? I mean, I have a, I have a couple of <laughs> those moments. Um, I think the first was when I opened the script, and learned who her parents were and what her background was. This upscale white family. Was exactly, and these academics. It was incredibly informative to me. Oh, this is where the Shakespeare comes from. This is where this, Yeah, she, you know, did, she can recite Shakespeare. Absolutely. Yeah. This, this twist with language comes from she has these very, you know, settled academics. But you didn't know that? They didn't give you that backstory when you came in? Had you painted a backstory for yourself and then found out it was totally different then? I had ideas. I did not have that story. <laughs> I'll be honest. I did not know that those were her parents. Did it change the way that you portrayed her thereafter? Absolutely. Well, it, it just added a different color. Because now you realize there is a host of reasons why this person might be pursuing love so desperately. She is adopted. How old was she when she was adopted? How long has she been without pain? Mm. Oh, you know, there's so many tears that it changed for then the rest of season one just from that one flicker. There's a huge fan culture around the show. 
You have a very popular, but also very, as you said, unique character. <laughs> I can imagine that you might you might have a story or two about fan interactions. I mean, I, I was just saying the other day. I had a, I had a when I ran the marathon is probably the funniest um, interaction or unique what was, interaction. What happened? I was running the New York City Marathon. Oh, and we're on mile seventeen. So you know we're not like mile two three. We're a mile. We've been going more than halfway done. And so you're exhausted. We're coming into the city. And then all of a sudden, this man comes running up beside me and I hear him and he's like, I know you. And I ain't going to bother you. But I'm going to take a selfie. And I, before I could even say anything, Rico, like the camera was in front of me. The picture was happening. He's cheesing. I look like I'm about to pass out. You know, I was like, my eyes are closed. Really my tongue glamorous. is out. Yeah, I'm looking fabulous. And then before I know it, he's gone. He was just gone. This was another competitor, by this, the way? Yes, he was out there. I was like, have a good race. <laughs> See you at the finish line. Um, we have two questions that we ask everyone on the show. Sure. And the first one is, if we were to meet you at a dinner party, what question should we not ask you? Oh, would you throw your pie for me? <laughs> for those who don't know, this is a, a that's a line from season one when uh, Piper, the object of Crazy Eyes' affection, is in a fight with her own girlfriend. Yes, in season and, uh, one, I throw my pie at her, and she says, "I'm not your prison wife." And I say, "I threw my pie for you." And people ask me if I'll throw my pie for them. So I guess at a dinner party, my answer would probably be no because I would want to eat it. So <laughs> I would <laughs> let Uzo keep her pie. Yeah. <laughs> I'm 100% behind your decision. Uh, the second question is more of an order, really. Tell us something we don't know. And this can be about anything. Okay. Something that our, some of our audience might not know. Kedu in Igbo means hello and how are you? What language is that? That's Igbo. I'm Nigerian. My oh, family's wow. from Nigeria. And our names, how about this? I'll give you another one. Our names are sentences. Like my name yeah. is Uzoamaka, and it means the road is good. So if you were to come to my house and I was like, how was the trip here? You would say, the road is good. Uzo Aduba, she's won two Emmys for her work in Orange is the New Black. And speaking of good roads, specifically mm-hmm. yellow brick ones, Last December, she played Glenda the Good Witch in NBC's live production of The Wiz. That's right, from prison to munchkinland. I know. Although I was thinking Oz was actually the name of another TV show set in prison. <laughs> so this is, this is really typecasting, is what you're That's saying. That's what I'm saying. My name is Richard Aram from Seattle, Washington. Uh, the greatest TV theme song, I think, and this is the perfect time to pay tribute to the brilliance of Mr. Gary Shandling with the theme song to It's Gary Shandling's Show. Just the self-referential nature of it in honor of Mr. Shandling's passing, that needs to be mentioned. Thank you. This is the theme to Gary's show. Called me up and asked if I would write his theme song. I'm almost halfway finished. How do you like it so far? How do you like the theme to Gary's show? This is the theme to Gary's show, the opening theme to Gary's show. This is the music that you hear as you watch the credits. 
so good. Oh, yes. Thank you, Richard, for reminding <laughs> us of it. And rest in peace, Gary Shandling. Uh, actually, throughout this episode, we've been hearing some of our listeners' favorite TV themes, and now it seems only fair that we share ours. Although that one's pretty hard to top. Agreed. But here to join us as we try our damnedest is Ellie Kemper. We spoke to her earlier about the series in which she stars, Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, the new season of which hits Netflix on April 15th. Ellie, what's your pick? One theme song that I love okay. is the theme to Friday Night Lights. Uh, oh, by that band. It's like that indie explosions band. Explosions in the Sky. I thought... I thought it was W.G. Snuffy Walden. Wait, what? What? Am I wrong? I think, oh, I'm being told by our producer, Jackson Musker, that, that I'm thinking of the movie soundtrack. Oh, we were thinking of the movie. Oh, no, I'm thinking of television. <laughs> because that's what we asked you. <laughs> Good work. Yeah. Can we, let's hear a clip of this theme song. Football. Friday night. Coach. No one can oh. see it, but we're actually swaying back and forth in the studio right now. I'm, I oh. I am crying. Yeah. This, to me, is everything in life. <laughs> I It pulls at my heartstrings. It When I hear the song, it's everything from high school just comes out. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't a huge football player. Mm-hmm. But oh my gosh, yeah. it's like everything that is so central to living. <laughs> it's euphoric. It's epic. And the thing yeah. that's oh, so interesting, it, too, is that's a sound that is perfect for the show, and yet when you think of, say, West Texas, you don't think of sort of chiming stadium guitars. You're so right. But it works. It, yeah, it reminds me of, well, I don't know. I ran track in high school. It reminds me of, like, driving to track meets in Missouri. I just think it is so universal. But you know what? I think I have um, a sadder theme song oh. when I was... Very young, my chorus teacher, Miss Russ, she made us sing this song, and it's the theme song to this TV show with Tony Randall called Love Sydney, which has the distinction of being the first television show to have an openly gay character. Wow. And Tony Randall played this rich I remember. gay New Yorker. Yeah, do you remember this show? Because yeah. one of the, his neighbor was a single mom. Yep. Played by Swoozy Kurtz, I think. Swoozy Kurtz. Yeah, Swoozy yes. Kurtz. And he kind of adopted them. So listen to this theme song. Please believe me. Lately my whole world is changing Suddenly you're here And my life's better than before <laughs> It gets better Friends forever Sharing everything together Always understanding just how much the other cares oh. <laughs> I used to sing this to Curious George. Too Curious George? I had a Curious George oh, doll. Oh, no. I'm welled up. I I'm know. You're, like, you're, a, you, I'm here. I see him in person. He is welling isn't up. Isn't that, I mean, that's an emotional song. It is. Friday, um, Friday Night Lights, Friday have, Night Schmites. That no, song. I uh, see. Okay, deep. now that you've said that, I can be honest. No. Friday Night Lights, <laughs> that does not hold a candle to Friday Night Lights. I, I that I think you, there must be some sort of association in your mind with that. Because when I just heard it. Yeah. It's darling, but it's not sad. Oh, I I remember we were very young, Brendan and I, when that show came out, and I remember it being very touching. But I think that really? was one of those shows where I liked the theme song more than the actual show itself. It was yes, like, yes. You can also yes. tell that that song is from you know the seventies or eighties or whatever it is because the song is as long as the episode. Oh yeah, exactly right. <laughs> that's like that's like two episodes of Kimmy Schmidt <laughs> yep, right there. Right there, right there. 
I kept wondering. I was like, surely it's going to end. But um, nope. okay. So Rico, what's your what's your TV theme song? Friday Night Lights is in first place so far. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna flash wow. forward to the to the present and pick the theme song to John Oliver's satirical comedy show on HBO last week tonight. Oh, I don't know. If, <gasps> oh, yes. I don't know if I know it. It's good. I don't. It's really great. It's a power pop song. I actually, we've had that song on our show as One for the Road before it became John Oliver's theme oh. song. It's by a band called Valley Lodge, and it is called Go. Mm. And every time I hear it, it makes me want to just drive happily. So here we go. That's right. Five, six, seven, eight. Right? <laughs> yeah, that's good. That's a good one. See, this is what happens when the child that Sydney raised graduates from college. And she drives off into the sunset with that song. Yeah, that's a great song, especially for that show. It, like, gets you excited to, you know, take in some satire. So that's my tune. We all agree it's the best one for sure. And I, I Ellie. What? Who weighed in on that? Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. I don't know if that was the best theme. Once again, Ellie Kemper of the TV show Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt and our show's theme song, in case you're curious, is by the great indie band The Sea and Cake and is called The Argument. A fitting name, if you know us. By the (laughs) way, folks, online we've posted a list of all the TV themes you picked, along with audio and video clips, plus, because we are huge geeks, an infographic analysis of which ones were most popular. You can check all that out at dinnerpartydownload.org. And folks, that concludes our first ever all-TV episode of the Dinner Party Download. Hooray. Next week, we check in with author Salman Rushdie to clean our brains and hear etiquette advice from Alice Cooper, because what else will we do with Alice Cooper? <laughs> it was the obvious thing. Also, next week, we are excited to be heading to New York for a live taping of our show. If you are one of the lucky few who got tickets to see it at WNYC's The Green Space, we'll see you there. Everyone else, rest assured we're recording it for posterity, and you'll hear the evidence in future episodes, including our chats with talk show legend Dick Cavett and The Daily Show's Jessica Williams. Sensei Cavett. Meanwhile, this week's show came to you courtesy of producer Jackson Musker, along with our associate producer Nina Potok, and our associate digital producer Christina Lopez. Our interns are Christian Coons and Carla Javier, Ben Tolliday and Jeff Peters engineered. Larissa Anderson is our executive producer. Bon Appetit.